One day this week, I came home to a really weird thing. Uh, I, I get to my front porch, and the front storm door is just stuck closed. It's not locked. It's just stuck. I walk around to the back of the house. I come in. I'm like, what's going on? Try to. Eventually, I mean, I'm like Mr. Handyman. I love like destroying things and putting them back together. Get some tools out. Start taking the door handle apart. Very quickly figured out that the problem was uh, the little uh, door latch, the, the the latch bolt. I think it might be called the little springy thing. You know, you can push it in there. Uh, it's stuck. It went out too far and it got stuck in the door frame, and it wouldn't go back. The springing mechanism wasn't working, and so I'm just like, what? And my initial thought is the only way to fix this is like to bust through the door, take apart the door frame, like, and nothing else could come apart. It, you should have seen my wife and I. Okay, so we're standing there. I'm on the front porch with a screwdriver and, and my wife is in the foyer and she's got like a screwdriver and we both have butter knives, no joke. And we're in like just for like 15 or 20 minutes. We're just, just fiddling with this door thing, slowly prying back the door frame, trying to pull back that bolt, slowly back and forth, back and forth. 20 minutes or something later, finally, that thing comes back far enough so that the door will open. The weird things that we do as grown-ups, right? Like you just come home, you're like, I think I'll come home for the day and go in the house. Nope, not an option, buddy. No access. You're denied. Um, now, here's the thing. Uh, I learned that front doors are valuable to us. You might not use your front door. Maybe you use a side door or like the door in your garage. But imagine if the door you use all the time was just not accessible, can't get into the house. Now, maybe you've never experienced what I just experienced at my house this past week, but you probably have experienced something close. You ever locked your keys in your car? Oh, instant fail. Like it's the worst, and you can, see, you can see the keys. You can see them. They're in the ignition. They're sitting in the seat. They're right there. You got to do the thing with the close hanger, you know, and you're trying to get in there, call AAA. And it's so inconvenient, and it's so annoying. When you have like the visibility, the proximity to a place, but not access. Oh, it is just a bummer. It's the worst. Now, the reason I start like that is because today we're talking about access. And more specifically, how we as uh, believers or people who know about Jesus and want to talk about him can help others have access. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is near. We have proximity to God. But too many people have got the door shut in their face. They don't have the key. They don't know the combination. They don't know how to get in. And, and one of the biggest roles we have knowing about Jesus is helping people find that access. And so we're, we're nearly through our study of the book of Acts. So if you've been sticking with us, we're in this series we've been calling When God Sparks a Movement. Acts is the story of the beginnings of the early church and what it looked like for that early group of believers to come in and establish uh, a, a new thing that eventually begins to change the world. Each week, we've been using a single word to summarize our lesson for the week. And uh, I'm not going to go through all of those this week. We're actually going to do a full summary next week. Next week is our last week in this study. So study up because I'm going to be asking you. And hopefully, you can know uh, all of our eight you know, focus words for the series. But basically, what we see in the book of Acts is God starts with a very small movement of people. We're going to call them the spark. And from that spark ignites a flame that just begins to spread like wildfire. Uh, in our last study, when we were doing this uh, two weeks ago, before we took the break to do church outside, uh, we saw that our focus word was the word inclusion. Because this flame has begun to spread so far that God has now allowed the message of Jesus to go into the world of non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. We met Cornelius and we did all that. And with this inclusion comes the ability to spread the gospel even further throughout the Roman world. 
Today, our word is accessible, accessible. The message of Jesus is and should be always accessible to anybody, no matter their walk, no matter their baggage, no matter their background. And today we return to our friend Paul. It's been a couple weeks since we touched on, on Paul. Remember, when we first met Paul, he's a Jewish leader who had been transformed after he, he met Jesus and from a person who was literally persecuting and killing Christians to a person who is now spreading the message of Jesus around the world. And he is, uh, becomes one of the greatest Christian missionaries to ever live. The vast majority of the book of Acts is the story of Paul traveling around the Mediterranean world and talking about Jesus. And in this process, man, Paul meets thousands and thousands of people many of whom have no Jewish background and maybe no like concept of like monotheism. I mean, these are people who are worshiping idols and they're pagans and they're doing all kinds of different things for their faith. Yet from place to place, as he goes to dozens and dozens of locations, he continuously is able to convince people of this very bizarre idea that God came near as a human that he gave his own life by dying on a cross and that he rose from the dead, giving other people the opportunity for new spiritual life. It's, it's a crazy story, but time and time again, Paul accomplishes that. How does he do it? Today, what I wanna do is I wanna teach us what I think is like Paul's, one of Paul's big principles. And it's very simple, but here it is. Paul would meet people where they are to make God's love accessible to them. Meet people where they are no matter what their background, no matter what they're going through in life, meet them where they are to make God's love accessible to them. And Paul was the master of making the message of Jesus accessible to people. It's almost unbelievable to take in how much Paul traveled and communicated with so many different people. And like in his three missionary journeys that we kind of talk about through the book of Acts, what I want to do is we're not going to read a large portion of the book of Acts as it wraps up, because what he's going to do is jump from city to city to city to city. And as he does that, he travels over 7,000 miles. That's a lot. That's like walking across the continental United States and back three and a half times on foot. He's got no car. He's got no airplane, no, uh, you know, doom buggy. He's not riding a little, you know, uh, motorcycle. A few times he rides on a boat and even those boat experiences don't go too well. You should read some in the book of Acts. It's crazy. Uh, he's not just on a pleasure walk. He is walking 7,000 miles and all along the way he is preaching, he is teaching, he's establishing churches, uh, he's writing some of these things that become books of our Bibles. He is busy. And so what I was trying to comprehend, like how big of a job was this for Paul? And I thought to do that, I would like to tell you some of my story and compare it to Paul's story, okay? And so let me just give you, I have been in vocational ministry, like it's been my occupation to be in ministry for uh, a little over 18 years. That's a long time, almost 20 years. I've loved it. It's been a great career. I love what God's been able to allow me to do and see and the people I've been able to meet. Um, I started in 2002 as a wee college student, and my first ministry was at a, a, a well-established church in Norfolk, Virginia. So I show up there. I was their worship leader, and I was their youth minister, and I did all kinds of other odd jobs and things as a staff member and whatever needed to be done. That was my role. We were there for five years. Uh, after five years, we moved to Greenville, North Carolina, where I was at another church that was fairly well established. And I was there for uh, five more years. And my primary role was to be a youth minister for our middle schoolers 
and our high schoolers, and I did programming and stuff for them and discipled students and that kind of stuff. So I'm 10 years in, okay? By 2011 was when we started seeing that it was maybe in God's design for us to be involved in church planting, new church work. So uh, first we moved to Kannapolis, North Carolina. It was just outside of Charlotte, east of Charlotte. Uh, but, and uh, we were there for a year, and I did an apprenticeship with a church planter there, learned a lot. Then we moved about eight years ago to Wilmington. And that was the beginning stages of starting Venture Church. Now, seven years ago, we launched into like our official public services. And man, I got to tell you, of all the last 18 years, the last seven, eight years has been by far the most uh, like rewarding, wonderful, great experience. And simultaneously, the hardest, most exhausting thing I've ever been involved in. Uh, getting a new church started. That's, that's crazy. Now, back to Paul. Because I'm just telling you my story to give you a, a context, 18 years. Imagine if in 2002, I left my hometown of Wilson, North Carolina, on foot, and I walked up to Norfolk, Virginia. And when I get there, I'm like, let me see if I can find some like-minded people to start a movement with. And so I gather a little group of followers, and I teach them about God. And let's say we do establish a little church there, and it goes well. And in my five years, I've got to raise up some leadership, and I've got to help them get to a place where I can walk away from, and it can still survive. Okay, so I've done that. Five years in, I'm like, I feel ready to move on to the next city. So I walk on foot to Greenville, North Carolina, and I get in there. And let's say in Greenville, there's already a little pocket of believers. And so sometimes in Paul's journeys, he would go to a place and there were some people who already, you know, they, they had some understanding about Jesus. And so he didn't start from ground zero there. So let's say I get there five more years, but we're building and we're creating and we're, uh, we're establishing leadership and we want to create something that's going to sustain and be there long after we're gone. And so five years in, now I'm 10 years into my missionary journey, my first missionary journey, like Paul. And then I'm like, I'm going to go to Charlotte. So I walk on foot to Charlotte, North Carolina, Kannapolis, just outside of Charlotte. And same thing. Now, because maybe there's a stronger body of believers there, I don't have to stay as long. I'm there for one year. And then I have this grand ambition to go to Wilmington, North Carolina. So I walk from Kannapolis on foot to Wilmington, where we have to start all over again, make new friends, find like-minded people. Uh, now imagine on my way to Wilmington, I'm also chased by a group of people who want to murder me, which Paul encountered from time to time. And along the way, we don't take any ships in our state, but let's say on the interstate, I crash my car and nearly die. And on the side of the road, I'm bitten by a venomous snake, which that similar thing happened to Paul while he was stranded on an island after a shipwreck. And then I finally find up in, you know, end up in Wilmington and like, that's exhausting. Can you imagine that being your life? As much of the traveling and ministry that I've been a part of, it's not been anything like that. And, and, you know, telling it like that really puts into perspective what these early believers were doing. I mean, they're sacrificing monumental parts of their life just so that people can know God loves you. He is near and he sent his son Jesus so that you can have eternal life with him. But thanks to Paul and his companions, not only were churches established around the Mediterranean Sea area all throughout the book of Acts, but today in the city of Wilmington and right now streaming online on your computer or device is a church called Venture Church that is standing on the shoulders, on the shoulders, on the shoulders of the people who have come before us just sharing the word of Jesus and making it accessible to people who need it. How do they do it? 
How does Paul and his companions and others, and I tell you, I, I, it's a lot, it's a lot of things that they did, but to boil it down and something we're going to see today is that it was that they were consistent. They were consistent over and over telling people God is near and you can have access to them. Let me show you an example. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 17 today. Acts chapter 17. And this is just the one story of many throughout the book of Acts uh, where we see Paul. So if you've got a Bible, flip over or scroll down on your device to the book of Acts chapter 17. And uh, as you get there, we're going to land with Paul in the city of Athens, Athens, Greece. And so Athens is a really important city in world history, uh, primarily is famous for being the birthplace of philosophy. Uh, in fact, all of like Western thinking is born in Athens, Greek, the way that we think and reason and talk and do things. All born there. And we get great names from Athens like you know Aristotle and Socrates, Plato, these guys. These, this school of people create literally schools where they teach other people philosophy and ways of thinking. And from that school come some great names and some great minds, namely Alexander the Great, who then takes this whole philosophy and, you know, colonizes the known world and basically takes this Western thinking to the masses. Uh, today in our schools, in our colleges, so much of what the people that were thinking in Athens were thinking that it, it shapes how we teach even now. So Paul and his traveling companions, they're traveling through all their countries. They end up in Greece. They find themselves in Athens. And like always, they pretty much have one goal. They want to show people that God is near and they want to make him accessible to them. And so we pick up there. Finally, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. You with me? Verse 16, here we go. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Uh, it was Paul's custom when he would go to a new place to find like-minded people first. That's wise. So he'd go to the synagogues. That's where the Jewish people would be gathering. Notice it says God-fearing Greeks. This would be like our, God, our guy Cornelius that we met a few weeks ago in chapter uh, 10. And so these are people who have converted to, to Judaism in some way or, or fashion. And so that makes sense. The Jews would have had some background on the Messiah. They would have known where Paul is coming from. But it also says that he moves on to the marketplace and begins teaching. And what he notices is all these idols everywhere. Now to a, a God-fearer, to a Jewish person, and also to a Christian, the concept of worshiping, worshiping idols is no, no. It's a bad, bad, you know? God is totally, anything that we place above him in an act of worship is, is abhorrent to him. And so in Athens, uh, he sees all these these statues, these idols, and he finds himself in, they had these areas called, uh, you know, market squares and marketplaces where you could share ideas and you could talk. And if you were good, people would gather around and listen to you. And if you were bad, I guess they would throw tomatoes at you. But Paul was pretty good. So he gathers a crowd. It says in verse 18, a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Uh, Stoics and Epicureans. Let's talk about them for a second. You probably learned about them in high school, but if you're like me, maybe you forgot a lot of things you learned in high school. These are two of the big philosophical schools of thought in, in this uh, Athen, Athenian culture. Uh, the, the Stoics essentially, I don't, I'm going to paint them with broad strokes here. They, they believed more than this, but historically what we say is that the Stoics basically believe that the path to true happiness is in self-denial. Okay, And so basically they would say like less is more. No materialism, simple living. And there were some things about Christianity 
that really appealed to the Stoics, particularly the idea that uh, happiness cannot be found in material things. Jesus talks about that quite a great deal. And so they're like, okay, we can get down with what this guy Paul's talking about. Then you got the Epicureans. Now on the pendulum swing, the Stoics are over here saying, you know, less is more, deny yourself. Epicureans are like, they're famous for saying, uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They said that we don't deny ourselves anything. Happiness comes from living like today's your last day on earth and just going all in. Pass me another bottle. Take me to another party. Physical pleasure is where it's at. Now, they also uh, had some ethereal spiritual thoughts. And so it's interesting as they're thinking of Paul and he's teaching in the marketplace, they're like, they're really down with what he's saying about some spiritual things and some joy things. And they're like, I, li- I like what he's saying. And so these guys, they couldn't be more different. They were like the, the, the bipartisan society of this ancient world. You were on one of the two camps largely. Uh, and they both kind of got down with what Paul was saying in his presentation. And so uh, they're also in verse 18. It says, some of them asked, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Um, now, they were very interested in discussing the gods. That's an important thing to understand. We'll see in a second. So verse 19, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. We'll talk about that in a second, Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. It says all Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Does that sound familiar? Oh man, it's like, is this flavor of the day? Let's just all go in on that. Uh, but this is, this is kind of uh, their culture. So there were pieces of what Paul was saying that has really been appealing to a large variety of people. It caught their attention and they want to hear more. And so they do something very important. They invite Paul to a meeting at the Areopagus. And the Areopagus Here's a picture of the Areopagus as it is like today. It's not really impressive today, but it was this place where people would come and share ideas. And uh, the, the leaders of, uh, you know, the, the community would come up and they would just talk about big, important stuff. And for Paul to be ex- invited to share his ideas as an outsider to come share his ideas, this is a big honor for him to get to go to this. Uh, it's kind of the, um, the exclusive marketplace. Like this is the, the main spot. Like you start out in the small venues, but you work your way up to the Areopagus. They also call it Mars Hill was a nickname for it. Now, Paul has this opportunity to share and it's ideal because the greatest minds in Athens would gather at the Areopagus. If you had the opportunity to share at a group like that, what would you do? What would you say? I've had people approach me to talk to me about their faith uh, in a lot of different ways, a lot, a lot through the people who like knock on your door and they're like, oh, and you, do y'all do what I do? I mean, I'm, I, I'm sharing this like on a video, but it's like, you ever like be like, oh, I'm not home, you know, you hide in the back bedroom. I know you do because you've told me, uh, but many times I've engaged them because I'm that guy. And so I go to the door and I'm like, hey, how's it going? Now, here's the thing. Uh, some of those people just, they blow it. Like out of the gate, they're insulting and they're offensive and they're demeaning. And uh, now some of them are very kind. I've done a great job. If you had one opportunity to share with someone your faith, how would you do it? Uh, one time I was at Walmart and I, I, you, you know, you ever feel like you're being watched. Okay. And so like for like three aisles, I'm like, and there's this guy and he's like, seems to be tracking me. And finally, like I'm standing looking at something and he walks up and he's like, here. And he hands me this pamphlet and I open it up and it graphically illustrates how I am going to 
burn in hell for all eternity. And so that was really nice of him. I'm so glad he gave me that pamphlet. Uh, I'm not a fan of tracks like that. I don't think that is the best presentation of the gospel is to scare people like that. But uh, I was like, thanks, buddy. And he just was like, yeah. So, I mean, like, if you had one opportunity to share with somebody, what would you, what would you do? I was once on uh, the Staten Island Ferry riding into New York City. Um, and as I was waiting in line at the little ferry depot, there was this guy standing on a box. And he was just preaching hellfire and brimstone from this box and no one was listening. I mean, we were listening, but we were like, I'm not, I'm not listening. You know what I'm saying? And so he is uh, pointing at people and he's naming the most vile sins that you could think of. And he's saying, you're guilty of this and you're guilty of that and you're guilty of that. And he's, he's, I mean, everyone's just offended. Like, what is he doing? He's alienating everyone in the area. So he gets on the ferry because I guess he needed to go into town too. So he gets on the ferry and I'm like, I'm that guy. I walked up and I sat right next to him. I said, hey man, what are you doing? I was like, you obviously have a passion and you are committed to it. So like, bravo for that. But do you honestly believe that the way you're presenting the message of Jesus, like I told him, like, I'm a Christian, but do you believe that the way that you're presenting Jesus is like, is helping at all? And he said, he looked me dead in the eyes. He said, well, if you honestly feel that way, then you're no brother of mine. And I was like, Wow. How do you share God's love with people? It's an age-old question. And generation after generation, we find new and different ways to do it. Right now, we're trying to navigate it through the internet. And it's interesting and it's weird. But I'm not sure that knocking on somebody's door and the first words out of your mouth are like, hey, are you going to go to hell when you die? That doesn't seem to be the method that the apostles used or that Jesus used when he talked about his kingdom. Let's look at what Paul does. Paul handles it differently in Athens when we look at him in Acts chapter 17. We're on verse 22 now, Acts 17, 22. It says, then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Don't get hung up on that word ignorant. That can be offensive. That's because we are just pansies when it comes to words in our culture. But like he's just saying, listen, you don't know about this. Let me, let me tell you a little bit more about this. Now, here's the thing. Paul knows more about the Old Testament than probably any of the other apostles. He was a great teacher. We see that time after time that people listen to him. Uh, but instead of opening up this opportunity in this lecture with like a list of sins or the history of the, the Jewish people that none of these people in the room would have had any idea about, he starts by pointing out something very relatable to them. Something that they could quickly gather around. He's like, you know, I noticed you got these statues around. I can see that you're very religious. I feel like he's kind of giving them props in that, you know? I can see that you're, you are very devout people. That's cool. I even found this one statue. Have you noticed the statue dedicated to an unknown God? I think this is a brilliant move. Uh, he, he actually talks about something and there was actually this debate about the gods that was always going on with these people. Remember it said they love to just gather and talk about the newest ideas. And one of the things they debated was the gods. I think that Paul knew this and he says, you know what? You got this ongoing debate. You guys love debating. Let's just talk about this one God that you've got questions. I happen to know a great deal about this unknown God that you know about. Um, now, Paul's idea is genius to look around their culture and find a starting point that's not going to cause division, but instead calls them to lean in and say, oh, do tell. So he starts with this uh, idol to an unknown God. Verse 24, 
He says, the God who, he's describing the unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because that's the way you serve the other gods. You're constantly giving them offerings and you're constantly doing things because they need you. They need you. They need you. If you know some of the Greek mythology stuff and the Roman mythology stuff, rather he himself gives life and he breathes, sorry, life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. Um, Paul begins to preach, but he's not preachy. He's just telling people what he knows about God and what God's done in his life. He doesn't call them stupid. He doesn't beat them down. He meets them right where they are in a conversation they were already having. And it's awesome what he said in verse 27. Let's look at it again. He says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. I love that phrasing. God is closer than you could imagine. You have proximity to God. He's right there. Like looking at the keys through your window in your car, you have proximity. And because Paul's like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that proximity is what you need. Let me give you the keys. Let me give you access. And so then he steps into the next part of his, his teaching. Um, he meets them where they are. And one more time, he actually shares a quote from one of their famous poets. Uh, again, you got the statue to the unknown God. And now we're going to talk about one of your poets. You know this guy. Be like quoting, uh, you know, a song lyric from a famous song. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. He's describing idols. We shouldn't think that God is one of these statues. No, and I love that he does address the idea that idol worship is not where it's at. But he starts from the context and then, he, and then he moves into it naturally. And then he says in verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. Now, we only have a snapshot of this little lesson. And I feel certain that Paul went on because I'm sure someone was like, uh, who got raised from the dead? Let's talk about that. If you know anything about Paul's teaching, he's going to describe his experience of encountering Jesus and Jesus died and his disciples saw him dead. You can read about it as he writes about it to the Corinthians. He makes God's love though accessible to his audience by starting at a common place where they know and can talk about the same thing and then moving in further in further in to a point where they can begin to start sharing the message of Jesus. And so notice that the teaching truth is not about, or or making the gospel accessible is not about watering down truth. It's not about skipping over the hard parts. It's not about ignoring the things that are taboo. No, no. You talk about those things, but you got to get people there in the context of their own uh, experience and help to understand what they're thinking through their own worldview. It's about meeting people where they are so that you can invite them to Jesus. Paul talks about this when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He says, though I, am free to, I, though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone 
It's interesting phrasing. He's like, I, I don't belong to anybody, but I've made myself a slave to everyone. This is how he's done that. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I have become like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So that I could win those who are under the law. He's talking about Jews still. Then in verse 21, he says, but to those not having the law, the Gentiles, I become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. I think he's like, he said, I'm not going to be immoral here, but I am trying to relate with the people. So as to win those who don't have the law, verse 22, to the weak, I become weak so I can win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. See, Paul understood that he couldn't shove 5,000 years of Jewish history down the throats of these new Greek people that he just met. He can't do that. He's just got a few days while he's with them. But he meets them where they are, and he begins a conversation about God on something that they could all relate to. Now, what was the result of this little lesson, this sermon he preaches? When Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, over 3,000 people turn to Jesus, and it's amazing. After this message, it says that two people responded. But do you think Paul was discouraged? Oh man, he was not. He was not. And apparently he fed into those two. These are leaders, great thinkers who are members of the Areopagus group. And to this day, over 2000 years later, did you know there is still a church in Athens because the gospel message is never left to die. It always continues to grow. God has sparked a movement. And all those people needed in Athens was to be shown access. Open the door and let me see inside so I can know what God's offering. You know, we had a great conversation last week uh, after our, our church outside thing. We had a little family meeting. Uh, and one of, one of the main points of my message last week was that we should shine light in dark places. In other words, we need to engage people who are in that Samaria and all the ends of the earth. How do we find the people who we, and, and engage with them? And, to, and I think that what we see from, from, uh, from Paul here is the idea of like, you got to meet people where they are. You got to look for these opportunities. You got to speak every chance you can speak and you got to share what you can share. And the thing is, even in our teaching time on Sunday morning, through this video or when we were meeting in person, I do my best to try to make God's word accessible. Like to, 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 no matter if you are deep in the faith or you're just beginning, like I'm not trying to go over anybody's head. In fact, sometimes I'm treading water when I get into theological conversations. But I believe that the truth of God is accessible and doesn't have to be complicated. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone believes in him doesn't have to perish but can have eternal life. That's the message of the gospel. And so if that's you, you've been listening for a while. I'm so glad you're joining us online still today. And, and I hope that you've been able to see the accessibility of God's truth. And if not yet, please reach out to me. And I'd love to connect you with one of our elders, one of our leaders, or talk to you myself. I love doing that to see how we can help that flame grow inside of you. But to the rest of us, church family, listen, here's the question. Who do you need to make God's word accessible to? What neighbor, what coworker, what housemate, what family member, what fellow student? I know our students are back in town and I, I hope that some of you are able to watch online because you were able to be with us at church last week. Like who are you needing to make God's word accessible through? I wanna encourage you, don't try to shove everything you know about God down their throat in your first meeting with them. 
but instead find places where you can relate to them. Listen more than you talk. Hear their story. Find their worldview. Try to empathize with what they've gone through. And then show them the way to Jesus by sharing your experience, what you've seen and what you know, bite by, bite, by bite, step by step, further in, further in, further in, to the point where you can invite them to join you. Yes, we're going to have to talk about sin. We're going to have to talk about idolatry. We're going to have to talk about the things that we replace God with. But it doesn't have to be step one. Step one is making the presence of God known and helping people find access to it. God is near, right here. And what he wants us to do is reach out to him. That's accessibility. Let's pray.